today we can <laughs> we continue we continue in this advent season reflecting on fourth distinct streams all leading to the coming of our king jesus this morning we look at the steadfast heart through the life of Joseph and will light our second Advent candle. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to marry to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to the son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus the gospel of our Lord let us pray Lord Jesus at this time of Advent when the world around us is busy preparing for all of the festivities would your word from scripture come to mind when the son of man comes he will he find faith on earth Lord you once came into our midst in in humility and mercy, and will come once again in glory and justice. As we live in the already not yet, reflecting on your first coming and waiting on your next, would you give us, like Joseph, a steadfast heart to stand firm in our faith, to rise above distractions and division? And Lord, would you give us persistent hope and fervent love for you and our neighbor? To you all honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Jedways. Can we give them a round of applause? <laughs> Wonderful job. The steadfast heart. The steadfast heart this week, the stream we're going to be looking at as we engage the Advent story as we look to Christmas is the steadfast heart. If you're visiting today, my name's Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It is a joy to worship with you this morning. Before we look at God's word, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, in team sports, How are you without the ball? Allow me to expand the question. In team sports, how is your attitude 
while not getting the ball. Now one fam, I know we're not all football fans here this morning, but track with me. In an article published last week titled, Pride Without the Ball, Peter King wrote the following. Christian McCaffrey had some fine plays, as he always does, in the surprising route of the Eagles. Sorry, Eagles fans. A game that uh, stamped the 49ers, at least this week, as the best all-around team in the game. Emphasis on all-around. 20 touches, 133 yards, a touchdown. Pretty normal day at the office for the man who leads the league in rushing by 191 yards. Yet you'd have to look closely to see the real value of McCaffrey. It came on the insurance touchdown for the 49ers, up 28 to 13 in the fourth quarter. Ball on the Philly 18-yard line. Quote, we kind of expected a blitz right there, McCaffrey said. We talked a little bit before that, and we said, Jawan Jennings, he was the hot receiver if they did end up bringing the blitz. McCaffrey's job, picking up the blitz, the unblocked blitzer somewhere near the middle of the line, if one in fact came. It's part of playing the running back position, the running back would say after the game. The most important thing is protection and being able to sink your hips and block a linebacker up the middle. And sure enough, King goes on to write, on that critical play in the fourth quarter, here came linebacker Christian Ellis through the A-gap, uh, unblocked, and there uh, was McCaffrey sinking his hips. He, he set him, his place, excuse me, I'm losing my place. He set his place firmly. He met Ellis head on around the 20-yard line and then didn't give up an inch. In fact, the blitz pickup per Next Generation stats was absolutely perfect. Seven rushers, zero pressure on Brock Purdy, the 49ers quarterback. He had time to spot Jennings out to the left short, dumped a strike to him, and Jennings ran the rest in from 18 yards out. Ball game. Ball game. King would go on to say, what's good to watch about the 49ers is the attention to detail, small and big, Famous and invisible. Let me repeat that. The writer went on to say, what's good to watch on the 49ers is the attention to details, small and big, famous and invisible. McCaffrey would also go on to tell King after the game, if you don't take pride in playing without the ball, whether it's fakes or blitz pickups or blocking in space, you're not going to play here. Playing without the ball is something that all of us take a lot of pride in. So bringing this back into the room, one fellowship, how are you without the ball? Let me expand the question. In life, friends, how are you playing without the ball in your hands? Be it living for God, living for family, living for friends, living for neighbors, especially when life requires you to do so invisibly or anonymously. How are you without the ball? As we continue this morning on our series in Advent, we could use a lot of adjectives to describe Joseph, right? We could use a lot of adjectives to describe Joseph, the husband of Mary, the adoptive father of Jesus. We could say he was selfless. He was servant-hearted. He was sacrificial. He was faithful. He was even holy, you might say. 
But in talking with our staff this week, there's one word, one particular word that I'd like to use to describe Joseph. And it's this word, steadfast. Steadfast. I believe Joseph, as we unpack this story, uh, shows himself to be steadfast. Now, per dictionaries I source over the last week, we can define steadfast as follows. First, fixed in direction or steadily directed. Steadily directed. Or next, firm in purpose, resolution, faith, and attachment. Or third, staying the same way for a long time and not changing quickly or unexpectedly. Steadfast. And these characteristics, right, these words describe Joseph, as we'll see. Living for the sake of God and for a greater purpose, often invisibly in the scriptures, Joseph has much to teach us. As in this second week of Advent, we prepare for the good news of Jesus. And with this preamble, the big idea we're going to see and unpack this morning is this. The steadfast heart trusts in God's word, and the steadfast heart follows God's plan, even in the face of uncertainty. The steadfast heart trusts in God's word, and the steadfast heart follows God's plan, even in the face of uncertainty. And we're going to slice this thin through three points as we look at it together. Point one, friends, we all face adversity. Andrew, we all face adversity. Point two, trust in God's word. And point three, follow God's plan. So let's dive into his word together. Point one, Carly, we all face uncertainty. Beginning with verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So let's unpack the backdrop or context of our text first, shall we? Let me begin by saying the Christmas story, this part of the Christmas story starts with a scandal. Starts with a scandal. As various theologians I researched this week have pointed out, to understand the nature of the context of our passage, we must remove this phrase. You ready for it? Through the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, look down at Matthew 1 and remove this phrase through the Holy Spirit. That's how Joseph initially would have experienced this news without that phrase being a part. Thus, if we read the text without that phrase, we get, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mom or mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Just let the raw reality of that statement hit home in your heart today. Before they came together, she, being Mary, was found to be pregnant. Uh, excuse me, what? Mar- Mary's this betrothed, she's pregnant. And if, if we're correct, it's not Joseph's baby. That's correct. She's found to be pregnant and it's not his baby. As I said, it starts with a scandal. You see, it's one thing to get pregnant out of wedlock. It happens. Perhaps it's happened to some people in here, but couples can often um, overcome that particular hurdle together. 
However, when a guy or a dude finds out his girl, his beloved, his betrothed has gotten pregnant and the baby is not his because they've never slept together, that's a big deal. That's seismic news. And guess what, church? That's the scene painted for us here in Matthew 1. Scandal. To make matters even worse, we must also grasp the seriousness of marriage back in those days. Very serious, very intentional. For instance, historical accounts would uh, indicate that Mary's parents and Joseph's parents likely helped set this marriage up. So there's that. Additionally, a bridal price or a gift would have already been paid. Additionally, a legal agreement would have already been come to with witnesses formalizing that agreement. And moreover, it would launch uh, this young couple into a one-year engagement or betrothal period. Again, marriage was very serious in ancient Israel. Furthermore, during this betrothal period, we know from research that uh, Mary and Joseph would have been called husband and wife before they've even consummated their marriage, given the magnitude of the commitment. So they're already being called husband and wife. We see it here and through other accounts. And lastly, lastly, we learn that if a couple in this period would have broken their engagement, especially for adultery, it would have been so shameful and humiliating for all the parties involved. You got it? In fact, it would have been so humiliating. I see some lawyers in the room. It would have required a formal divorce even before the marriage was fully consummated, a public formal divorce proceeding. Thus, our, our passage, friends, Matthew 1, this critical piece of the Christmas story, it begins with a scandal. In it, we find um, this engaged, betrothed teenage girl, Mary somehow pregnant, and her fiance, Joseph, finds out knowing the baby is not his. It's not his baby. Now, before hitting the gas and moving to point two, I want us to pause here. And I want us to imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph in that moment. Imagine how crushing it would have been to find out this news. Mary, his beloved, his betrothed, the one he planned to spend the rest of his life with, has gotten pregnant and he knows the baby is not his. How do you think Joseph would have processed the news? How would it have made Joseph, young Joseph, feel? Did he cry? Did he weep? Did he, did he scream? Some of us, when we're hurt, we scream or scream out to God. Did he do these things? We're not told. Yet I can't imagine the pain and the sadness he must have carried uh, in light of this news. Uh, did, did he experience shortness of breath? Did he experience a panic attack? You ever had a panic attack before? I have. It feels like you're dying. Did he experience these things? Again, we're not told, but we, we have to imagine he had sleepless nights and racing thoughts. You ever been there before? No, church, we're not looped into Joseph's feelings in our text. We're just looped into the, the facts of the story, and yet the facts paint a very harsh, painful, uncertain future for young Joseph. His future and his life were careening off the tracks, out of control. Now, if you, if you would allow me to bring this scene and bring this passage into the room before we get to point two, let me ask, have you ever in your life been blindsided like that? 
Have you ever been crushed with news like that, like Joseph? Perhaps it was relational news. Perhaps it was job news. Perhaps it was health news. Perhaps it was friendship news. Perhaps it was even schooling news. If so, what was that like for you to receive that crushing news? Did it physically harm you? Are, are you? are you someone that processes emotions internally or just lets them flow externally? Last question, if you've gone through something like that before, are you still carrying the scars or the residue in your heart from that experience today? See, friends, life can be tough, can it? It can be uncertain. And here's the truth, all of us, in our journeys, in our lives, we'll face uncertainty in our futures. Be it a shocking diagnosis, a rejection letter from a university, a betrayal from a loved one or a friend, and on and on and on the list goes, right? In life, like Joseph, we will all face uncertainty. This leads us to point two. Trust in God's word. In the face of uncertainty, Trust in God's word. Now, I'd like to lighten the mood in the room, okay? Is that okay? A couple of weeks ago, the Sorensen family, we did something spur of the moment and quite fun. We did. We took an enormous trip. You see, over the summer, uh, I discovered we had all these e-credits with Delta that they had been hiding from me. Guys, you might have e-credits. They were not even in my account, but through all these canceled trips during COVID, we had all these e-credits, right? And then we learned we had to use them by the end of this year. Again, uh, Amanda, go home and make sure you and Ryan don't have e-credits because they might expire this year. So we had all these e-credits and we made the decision to take a huge trip. We flew to Banff, Canada. As a family, before all the kids leave the nest and you're, uh, or you're, we are experiencing, experiencing the empty nest syndrome, we said, we're gonna go on an adventure. And we were looking for one thing on this trip beyond beauty, and that one thing was snow. I don't know why, but I wanted all of our uh, family to snow ski at least one more time together. And so we flew to Banff, and believe it or not, there was snow. We hit the slopes, and that first day was amazing. Listen, it had been a bazillion years since our kids had skied, and they've grown to be giants. So we asked slash demanded that they take ski lessons and they didn't complain. They did great. The first day was great, you guys, skiing. Yet things went off the tracks the second day. Things went kind of sideways the second day. First, Sailor, our daughter, front row, got sick. So mom and Sailor had to stay back. They didn't ski. Second, here it is, Caden got stuck. Caden, if you're watching, I'm telling our story. Caden got stuck. So what do I mean? Well, instead of skiing the same mountain we did the first day, the boys and I had this great idea to ski a bigger and better mountain that second day. We did. And we were assured that this bigger and better mountain would be uh, good even for novices. And so we packed up our gear. We drove 45 minutes away. We took the gondola all the way to the top of Lake Louise that ski mountain, we put on our helmets and our skis, and we started to go down that first slope when Caden stopped, tried to see over the edge of the first slope, which he could not, and he froze and he screamed, Dad, I can't do it. He did, and he screamed it louder the second time, Dad, I can't do it. 
And there we were, stuck, several thousand feet above sea level on a giant mountain in a foreign country. It's a true story. We had someone here from Colorado in the first service who was just laughing his tail off, like, because if you've skied, this has probably happened to you, right? It's happened to me. Caden was stuck. Friends, do you know what finally got Caden to become unstuck and ski down the mountain that day? And I say this not out of self-promotion, but just to, uh, to share the impact of a loving father. What got Caden to ski down the mountain and become unstuck that day? Two things, my presence and my voice. My presence and my words. You see, after a lengthy conversation or negotiation, right, Caden? I was able to ski to the very edge of whatever cliff was in front of Caden or whatever turn in the slope was in front of Caden, providing a safety barrier for him in the form of my very body, if you will. And then I was able to encourage him down the mountain as he's made his way down. That's how Caden became unstuck on the mountain that day. And honestly, it was a powerful moment. And he has since told us that, uh, at least according to his memories, this was the best trip he's ever taken with our family. Isn't that special? Return to our passage with me. Do you know what allowed Joseph to change course and become unstuck and embrace the uncertainty of the life in front of him? God's presence in his voice. God's presence in his words. Check this out. But after he had considered this, meaning divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Finally, there it is. There's the information. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God's presence in his words changed everything for Joseph that day. See that, church? Specifically, I want to highlight a few uh, exegetical uh, observations. First, not only did God show up for Joseph that day in the form of an angel, by way of an angel, this angel then told Joseph that Mary had become pregnant by way of the Holy Spirit. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So why is this significant? Well, it's significant because uh, as a faithful Jew, uh, Joseph would have known that the Holy Spirit was active, friends, in the original creation account. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit was active in the original creation account. Genesis 1, visualize this with me. We read, in the beginning... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Thus for Joseph, the message from the angel would have been clear. By way of the Holy Spirit, Joseph, God is doing something special. God is doing something new. God is doing something miraculous. And by the way, your girl, Mary, she's right in the center of it. Isn't that something? That's observation one. Observation two, the fact that the angel addressed Joseph, son of David, would have sent shockwaves through his soul. 
It would have. That's observation two. Sure, we have the benefit of hindsight, but for Joseph, a Jew, uh, he would have not only uh, hoped in the Old Testament prophecies like 2 Samuel 7, Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 37, Daniel chapter 9, all talking about this coming king, this Messiah in the line of David. But for a Jew like Joseph, who knew his lineage, that he was in fact in that line, this news from the angel would have sent electricity through his body. In fact, outside of referencing Jesus in the Gospels, this is the only time that this address, son of David, is used in all of the Gospels. Joseph, son of David. And then observation three. We see that the explanation given for the virgin birth, the big why, puts all the pieces in place for Joseph here. It allows him to have understanding and empathy towards Mary. As a faithful Jew, surely Joseph would have known the promise found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, written, listen to this, some 735 years before these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. What a declaration, right? What a crazy fulfillment right in the center of Joseph's own story. So friends, listen, while life brings uncertainty and it will surely bring uncertainty, God's word brings understanding. While life will bring uncertainty, God's word brings understanding. Do you see that in the life of Joseph? All the pieces started adding up. Clearly, Joseph had hidden God's word in his own heart and his story ultimately ended up making sense in light of God's greater story, though at first he couldn't see it. So wouldn't it be nice and wise and prudent, One Fellowship, if we too hid God's word in our own hearts and in our own stories, amen? Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end, the psalmist writes. Thus, point two, we are to trust in God's word. Like Joseph, we can trust in God's word. Listen, they're the words of a loving father. And point three, follow God's plan. Even if it's mysterious, even in the face of uncertainty, dare to follow God's plan. Now, I don't see them here today, so I hope they join us online. Um, about nine years ago, a wonderful family moved into our neighborhood. Their name's the Robinsons. And I didn't know it at the time. Um, excuse me. Yeah, I didn't know them. Excuse me. I didn't know them at the time. But I was told they had two great young boys, and the, the gentleman was from Boston, and, and the woman, the wife, was from um, Long Island, New York City. I was also told this woman uh, helped run a big wedding planning company for our city. Well, one day I was at home doing pastoral work when I unexpectedly got a knock at the door, right? And I went to answer it, and there was this little woman on her doorstep with a, a New York accent who introduced herself as Ellen, our new neighbor. And then she then invited me and our family to a big party. 
She said it was going to be a really big party. The point was to bring together family and friends as they had bought a house in her neighborhood to connect people. And then she asked if I would do a blessing. She heard I was a pastor. Pastor, would you do a blessing? Again, I didn't really know Ellen. And when I pressed Ellen for more information, I don't remember much of what she said. But here's what I do remember. Uh, I grew up a Jew in New York City. I'm a Jew from New York City, she told me multiple times. Uh, I've had some exposure experience in the church, okay. And there's gonna be a diverse audience at this party and it's gonna be an opportunity for you for this blessing. Okay, Um, there it is. Uh, So humbly I agreed to share the, uh, the blessing at said party. So as time went on, and the party approached, uh, I was game planning. I didn't, I didn't contextually know how to offer a blessing. Uh, and so finally the party arrived and there was an oysteros, there was white glove service, like servers with hors d'oeuvres on, on fancy plates. There was an open bar. There, there was a, a, a full band on a stage in, in her backyard in our neighborhood. It, it was a lot. And people were everywhere. And she was right, diversity was everywhere. So it's at that point when she came up to me, I had made my decision. Friends, I had made my decision. She said, Paul, it's time. I said, Ellen, thank you. So I stood up, I welcomed everyone. I thanked the Robinsons for having me. And then I shared, um, I shared uh, about the one who had changed my life and, and changed our lives. And um, I did it in a unique way. I had made the decision to do it in this way. So I invited everyone to bow their heads and then I slowly and intentionally started saying the name of Jesus in different languages. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Yahshua. And I was trying to honor Ellen, right? In the name of Jesus. And people are looking at me like I'm crazy. I had to say it in multiple names. And then I shared the blessing and I thought it was amazing. I thought it was beautiful and so fitting and I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards and thank me. But if, if I recall, if my memory's right, there was one person in the back who in particular thought I was nuts. She gave me this bewildered look and it was my wife. She was in the back when I was doing the Yahshua thing and she was like, you know, like one of those, like, I don't know you. And she, just trying to scooch back into their fence, into their backyard. And I told her, I just went with it, babe. I, I did. <laughs> Here's the good news. The Robinsons are now members of our church. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. The name that elicits a response like none other. Right, Rach? Jesus. The angel said to Joseph that night, she, Mary, will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord said. In fact, other translations say he did exactly what the Lord said and had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Friends, Joseph, the humble heart, the faithful heart, 
the virtuous heart, the steadfast heart. Do you remember that one definition of steadfast at the beginning? Steadily directed, steadfast, steadily directed. And that's what we see from Joseph in Matthew chapter one and then this second week of the Advent story. The angel had directed Joseph to give the child the name Jesus and he followed through. And this is important for two reasons. First, theologically, it closed the gap. Where's Jonathan Wong with his broken ankle? Our theologian in residence. It closed the gap, guys. Giving this boy the name Jesus closed the gap. You see, without Joseph doing this, Jesus would not have been part of David's lineage. Do you know that? Nowhere in scripture, in fact, do we read that Mary was a descendant of David. No, it was Joseph who was the son of David. Thus, Joseph, both accepting and adopting Jesus as his own son, closed the gap theologically and allowed countless Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled. And second, it's significant because it was in his personal. It was in his personal. No, simply believing what the angel told him was not gonna be enough for Joseph, young Joseph. And it's not gonna be enough for us. No, giving the child the name Jesus and then adopting him as his own required Joseph to give up his rights, his fatherly naming rights, and relinquish his own dreams for God's plans. It was a big deal to be able to name your son in those days, to name your heir. But he's called to relinquish those rights and relinquish his dreams and follow God's plan. You know what, church? That's what a faithful, surrendered, and steadfast heart does. It lives not for the, for the glory of oneself, but for the glory of God. And that's what we see in Joseph. So even in the face of uncertainty, dare to follow God's plan. As we wrap up this morning's message, one more small note from Scripture, an observation, not just from our passage, but all of Scripture, all the Bible. And it's not big, but it's so memorable. Not once in the Bible is Joseph quoted or recorded as having spoken. Did you know that? Not once in the whole Bible is Joseph quoted or having been recorded as spoken. Not one time, church. No, Joseph, the faithful heart, the surrendered heart, the steadfast heart, spoke not with his words, but with his actions, with his very life. Thank you, Kingston. As the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote shortly before his death, dare to do what is just, not what fancy may call for. Lose no time with what may be, but boldly grasp what is real. The world of thought is escape. Freedom comes only through action. Step out beyond anxious waiting and into the storms of events, carried only by God's command and by your own faith. Then will freedom exultantly cry out to welcome your spirit. One fellowship, the steadfast heart, trust in God's word, and the steadfast heart follows God's plan, even in the face of uncertainty. So this second week of Advent, as we make room for Jesus in our lives, in our hearts, in our families this morning, may this truth guide us no matter what may come our way today, 
tomorrow, and the years to come. Amen? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.